Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Kat, and I'm here with Jack. And today we have a very special guest, Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Hey, Ellie. Hi. Ellie, let me ask you a very serious question. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? I only drink one. (laughs) I only drink um, the vanilla bean, just because I don't drink coffee. The vanilla bean frappuccino. That's okay. Cat drinks tea primarily, and she's at Starbucks at least once a day. Yeah, that's actually true. That's okay. We're going to just dive in with vulnerability, and I am at Starbucks once a day. Yeah, I think we had Starbucks twice today. We did, but it's a special day. It's Father's Day, which yeah. means it's our day, too. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hang out so much. I'll be broke. <laughs> So can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, Ellie? So I'm 24. I'm the youngest of three. My son's four and I've lived in Florida like since I was three months old in Pasco. And your son's adorable. Thank you. He's just perfect. I've uh, asked about Squishy and hear that he is a favored child. (laughs) A little bit. It's hard to get mad at him when he looks so cute doing everything, but he's a handful Um, for sure. He does look just like you. He does. So what's your favorite thing to do with Squish? Pool, for sure. Just because he's learning. So every time we go to the pool, he's just like constantly trying to drink it all. Like last time, (laughs) he finally like swam on his own. Nobody could help him. But he drank so much pool water, he puked all over me. And he's learning to potty train. So it didn't end there. He whipped out his pee pee, (laughs) tried to pee in the pool. That's sounding a whole lot like my four-year-old. It's so odd. Like, is it familiar or is it familiar? It's very familiar. He definitely whips it out pretty much anywhere. Uh, He's in the middle of potty training. And he loves to drink as much of the pool water as he can and then barf it up everywhere. So Kindred's there. We should hashtag this with like birth control too. <laughs> Can you tell me what your best memory is with Squish? It's from this year for sure. My son loves dinosaurs and my first son supervised. I didn't really know where to take him because I wasn't like familiar with where he was. Dinosaur world. Squish, like he gets excited and is like gonna take off. So I was not ready. I we went back to the car and I just sat there for a minute and I was just like overwhelmed and he was singing his dinosaur song. Oh. Like yeah, he was just singing it. Like he didn't care at all. And we went back in the whole time we walked around this place. He said dinosaurs until we got to the mammoths and he said elephants. <laughs> that day was just I think it was because it was my first actual time with him where I wasn't with you. And and it felt, I don't know. Like you were a parent. Yeah. And it's not even this year. It was, it wasn't like getting my own son back. He's brand new. So it was like the first time I got to really know him in his own setting. That was nice. That is really cool. And dinosaur world. Come on. We're going back Friday. (laughs) That's my kid's favorite place. And actually they were going to go again recently and we had to reschedule because of something else that came up, but they're obsessed with dinosaurs as well. Has your son Squish watched Kim Cretaceous? I'm oh my god, I'm in love with it! <laughs> you just leave all those kids there! Oh my god! Okay, so when the new season came out recently, oh, we just watched the whole thing in the day. <laughs> we did too! And, okay, so the first 
first time we watch a new season, it's always like kind of awesome because it, like it's really it's fun. Um, like, kids shows, I don't care what anybody says, they are not as good as they used to be anymore. No, that show that one is good. Yeah, we get really excited when the new season comes out because it's like we've already seen the other two seasons like a million times for each episode, and you could hear one line from the episode. You're like, oh, that episode. There's also like kind of a Lego version of Jurassic Park on Netflix, and so every once in a while we can talk. My um, my four year old is pretty much the king of the remote because everybody else pretty much like the because he's the whatever. king of the house he is the king of the house but if he has to watch something that he's not familiar with he has like meltdown after meltdown so yeah we have two tvs in my living room actually for that reason so <laughs> even if my four-year-old has a tablet in his hand this he's watching on what he wants yeah he's mm-hmm. he could be watching camp cretaceous and camp cretaceous also must be on the tv so it's a lot but i feel you i feel you man i feel so lame that we've never been to dinosaur world so i guess we're going so. yeah they just opened the boneyard <laughs> it's definitely a happy place for my kids but that's really cool that your first unsupervised got to be at dinosaur yeah. world i think a lot of parents really struggle trying to figure out what to do on an unsupervised when you haven't had that a lot before we were actually just talking about this with mac is that like it's not like you're doing anything wrong with your kid when you have to be supervised when you're watching them it just constantly makes you feel like am i doing something wrong it's hard to be like real and comfortable and at ease with your child when somebody's making notes in the corner about whatever it is happening in the moment it's nice when you get that first moment where you're alone with them and like you just be yeah it's got to be so nerve-wracking i mean people don't even like their mother like to have a mother around right. their mother-in-law around it can be difficult if if the relationship isn't right so of course it's going to be nerve-wracking to yeah. have a caseworker or a therapist I mean, or you. <laughs> they're so sweet so my um squish's dad didn't he had my caseworker and the guardian at Lightham. but i definitely feel like i had um a lot more freedom with you doing it just because I got to be in Squish's home a lot more with Kat doing my supervised than my caseworker. It was also getting to be a part of his world and like I brought certain toys every week. I came at a certain time every week. I think it was like a month. He didn't let me touch him at all. And then there was just this one where he finally let me touch his magnets and it was like I don't know. I don't think it would have happened if I didn't have you and I'm being in his environment. Well, you did a great job. I mean, because of COVID-19 you were only able to see him via Zoom. Yeah, not even really. Um, his first foster parent, my Zoom calls didn't happen. Uh, I would call and there was supposed to be an hour a week and it would be like two minutes. I wouldn't see Squish's face. He would be screaming and like ripping his diaper off and it was really bad. So I didn't really talk to him or see him for four months till his last placement. So that's a long time, especially when you have a child who has a spectrum disorder. It took a little while and that had nothing to do with his relationship with you, but everything to do with his circumstances, the pandemic. Yeah, he definitely felt like I abandoned him due to like uh, not being around at all. But that changed really fast. Yeah. And you did a lot of things to help facilitate that. You brought the things that he was completely obsessed with, which was not dinosaurs. Yeah. And it's so, I'm looking first? back at the pictures now and it's like, he doesn't want to look at that stuff now. Like it was <laughs> member puzzles. Do you remember member puzzles? Yes. Letters, letters. He has um the safe at home and I told you I bought it like seven times before he we went mm-hmm. in there and all the old letters are in the safe and he Aww. found it the other day and he was building a little on things and singing London Bridge and blowing them down. <laughs> we would just sit there while he put, I mean, it was a puzzle. Yeah, there was one that was a puzzle and then it was magnets that he sorted. And he just... For an hour straight, over and over and over. Oh. Can you give me a word that you think someone who maybe doesn't know you would use to describe someone who has lost their children? I guess low. Lower. That was the hardest part of my case, wasn't... The people involved with my case were amazing. My son's foster mom, Kat, everybody involved with it was pretty great towards the end. It was more the judgment I received from the people who didn't know what had happened to me. I just got talked to like I was lower than anybody. Like I was scum. It's kind of bad because my family doesn't have the best name as it is. So I was maybe the one sibling that had a lot to live up to to not be that and when I did it was it was way worse growing up where I did everyone knew everything do you see yourself that way no 
No, I did at first, especially the four months I did not get to see my son. It was really bad. The first two weeks, he was actually next door to me in relative placement. And it wasn't that hard. But once they took him and put him in a foster care from there, I didn't wake up until about two in the afternoon. I was really depressed. I didn't get a job till about a month into my case. I remember feeling because I, I messed up and I knew that to a point, like a lot of it was on me waking up, having to know that like your kid is gone and it's your fault. It's hard not to feel lower. Yeah. So. And especially when people are treating you that way, it can definitely affect the way that you see yourself. I had people take pictures of me and Squish and I had posted on Facebook and like repost some with jokes about how my son ended up in foster care. Wow. Are you kidding me? These are like people you knew? A girl. She never met me. We had dated somebody in common two years before. So that is so disgusting. Wow. That was, I think that was the, that was my wake up call though. That really made me realize that I wasn't as bad as everyone made me seem. It was just whatever anybody could get of me was going to get thrown in my face this year when I was at my lowest. But yeah, you were like currency to make someone else feel better. Yeah. That's terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry that happened to you. That's horrendous. I mean, and that kind of reminds me of like, you've told me some things about how you really had to like purge your life. Yeah, it's sad. It's actually still going on. I told you, somebody helped me raise Swish most of his life. He had like a great stepdad. But when my case started, he couldn't really be involved. He had to charge from when he was 18. Like I said, Squish changed a lot over the years. It was learning a new kid. But I also changed the way I had to parent him and his Stepdad figure tried to come around once since reunification and with ABA, you have to follow it all the way around. And if you don't, like he's going to go backwards and he doesn't need to. We had a, a conversation about how I needed to be told how to be a parent, but he didn't. And he's no longer in my life for Carter's. So it's just, it's a lot, even to this day, like I have to cut people out they don't see why but it's a big but you're making those sacrifices for the best of your child which Mm -hmm. is exactly what anybody could want for you to do i mean it's like motherhood you know (laughs) it's motherhood it's like doing the hard things was this your first experience with foster care or did you ever know somebody in foster care or were you in foster care or anything like that um when i was 15 actually i my my mom had gotten pretty sick of me growing up. Uh, I wasn't an easy kid at all. I'm manic bipolar. So it was really bad during 12 to like 17 for me. But at 15, my mom was waiting for a placement for a six to nine month for me. And I remember I had guy and arrested again for like shoplifting or something. And there's this thing called the rat house in Pasco. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my mom had me brought there and eventually signed over her rights to me. And I was put into foster care for about four months and then my program and when I got out I was given to my dad who then left me and I was just like a runaway from 17 on wow yeah I did um there was two two people in the rap house with me who were in foster care they were siblings and they had like an actual they had visits with their mom they were working to go home to their mom so that was the only situation I've ever been in and that is very different from what I witnessed this year. Like, Rap House is a lot different than yeah. foster oh, care. Yeah. Were you like a runaway from foster care or were you like a runaway from your dad? Uh, they released me to my dad. My dad still okay. had rights, but he had left my mom and started traveling the country with somebody. They couldn't find him. So when my mom signed over rights, I had to go into the Rap House under like, this was like temporary foster uh-huh. care. It was really weird. And then when I went in my program, I was released out to my dad. He was living with some bartender in Newport Richie that he had met and I remember I woke up one day and there was just a uh, credit card on the dresser and my dad had left again. Wow. My dad and mom were actually just freshly back together six months ago and oh are goodness. back in my life from a month ago now. So do you feel like you're having to like as a mom and an adult create some healthy boundaries there yeah honestly um we do we do dinner once a week and it is after i drop my son off with his dad because i don't really feel too comfortable they've been around squish twice and it's just but that's just because i've never growing up i couldn't be around my parents longer than like an hour without it being an argument so it's so really new. well and also like you're protecting him because you know that they weren't able to be what you needed he's also had so many in and out his whole life i'm not even gonna lie 
why everybody just that's gotten close to my son doesn't stay around. And I don't want him to keep losing his grandparents whenever they feel like being around. Like his foster mom is who he addresses as grandma. There's like so much maturity in that. It's so impressive. I'm, I'm starting to figure out why Cat uh, likes you so much. I'm so proud of you. Can you give me like a synopsis of what school was like for you? Like how far did you make it? I did not like high school at first. I went to Hudson High and ninth grade year, I was actually on psych meds that were making my hair fall out. So oh, I got yes. bullied really bad. And I oh. remember somebody actually threw food at me. This girl, we were best friends in middle school. She threw food at me during lunch and I poured orange juice on her. I had like reached my breaking point and they sent me to Pace. So I was at Pace up until um, my 10th grade summer. And then I went on to 5A and I loved 5A. Like, I realized I liked art and everything there. Like, when I came out of my program was when I went into Pace. So, 5A, I was there for 11th grade. And when I became a runaway, they started sending the cops to school to get me to go home and to Baycraft me. And I dropped out. And but educationally now, you're working on um, some stuff. Yeah, right now, I, I didn't graduate. So, my biggest thing, I suck at math. But I don't want my GED. I want to be, like, drug abuse and be behavioral disorder counselor for like a SIP placement like I was in. So for that, I, I want to do college, like starting in a college while working on my high school diploma online. That's cool. That's awesome. That is my goal within the next six months. It's really just waiting till Swish's schedule is more stable. Which will be soon. Yeah, it's yeah. getting there now. Can you share with us what the um, reason was that your son was removed? February 2nd of 2020, I had somebody I really cared for died. They overdosed and they died right down the street from where I was living. And it was like we grew up off of like Hicks Road and Hudson, like we were wreck rats. And when he passed away, it was just really hard. I left that day. I moved to Missouri and I, sh- I made this move emotionally and I moved in with my ex and his family in a whole new state. I ended, I was there about three weeks before my ex started hitting me. And I remember we got kicked out of there after his sister found him choking me in the basement. Oh my goodness. And we made it back to Florida April 3rd. And my son was removed from me May 21st, May 19th. So I was home 15 minutes and Swish was actually in the room. He had this comfort thing where he would strap himself in his car seat. Uh-huh. And um, he had actually strapped himself in his car seat. was eating an apple. And my ex was like asking me where I was. And I had been at my best friend's house for the night. We had argued the day before. And it was just like, I needed out. But he didn't believe me. He thought I was with a guy. I had bought him like an $80 outfit the day before. And I was like, I'm taking this. Like, I'm done. We're leaving. And I went to leave and he stabbed me with scissors. And like four times in my leg and I went to call the cops and he put my head through the wall and then put all my stuff in my car and gave me my phone back once my car was packed and told me to leave. And I went right to the police station and he ran for about a week. But the day after he stabbed me, I remember I was just so done. I wanted weed. I didn't have a medical card, but I just wanted to smoke. It was like such a bad day. I was like, I need to get high. I didn't know how to roll a blunt. So I asked... It's okay. I don't know how to roll one either. <laughs> but I had been like smoking weed for a year. And I asked my weed dude at the time. He had been my weed dude for like, since I moved back to Florida. So it was like a month. And I dated him in middle school. I didn't really think that much. I was like, can you just roll my blunt for me? And he had known what was going on. Like I was getting... Everyone really kind of knew I was getting beat. So he thought it was a good idea to put um like ex- a bean, which is like ecstasy in my blunt. I have a heart condition. So I died. I overdosed. My mom brought me to Bayna. I actually don't remember being. I was blacked out. They released me blackout. And I remember waking. Oh my God. Yeah, I woke back up home. And the, I like, it was. Did you let her come home before she woke up? The, my, my mom couldn't even get me in the car. I walked home. I was so blacked out. My mom said I tried to fight her in the hospital parking lot because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it was a really bad night. So I woke up like 13 hours later. I didn't know what was going on. So I still had squished at this point. And we had made plans. We were going to Splash Park and Tarpon. We came back and it was like nine at night and CPI was outside. They were actually calling my phone to see where I was. And he drug tested me and I had told him like there was a police report that I thought I had smoked weed and I wasn't weed and I died.
died the night before and he was like, well, I need to drug test you. You, know, you. you just have to do your drug test. I didn't fail for ecstasy. I failed for seven drugs, including fentanyl and heroin. Oh my gosh. So it was, there was no question that my son was gone that minute. I was actually freaking out. I tried to get my car keys. I tried to leave. He told me he was taking my son. And my mom was like, no, no. <laughs> and then three cops pulled up and they were like, you really have no option. The relative placement my son was in was actually somebody I met that night. It was his stepdad's aunt who lived next door. She just moved from Connecticut and she just kind of like felt really bad for me. I got lucky with that, but it was definitely rough. What was life like before you started using? So I did have a drug problem right after Swiss was born. I never used anything. Never even, I didn't even smoke weed at this point. It started with ecstasy. I had gotten kicked out of my mom's house. We were living with my brother and it was like a trap house. We were selling all this stuff and it was really like they all were doing ecstasy and coke for months before I ever even thought about it. And I don't remember the first time like what made me do it, but it was like nine of us. And I remember like I loved it. I I loved ecstasy. And after that, it just went on to coke. And it wasn't like I was on drugs for a long time, but the amount of drugs that I consumed within about six months was so bad that I got a heart condition and lost almost 100 pounds of weight. I was, I think it was to the point where I was doing about like a half ounce of Coke a day and then wow. taking Xanax to go to sleep. Do you think there was anything that anybody could have done at that point in time to have stopped these things from happening? To a point, I would like to say yes, but no, because I remember my older sister actually drove two and a half hours, was bringing me and my son back after having him for a holiday weekend. I like I saw this back on my memories the other day and I'm like, I don't know why my sister had my son on Easter. It was the weekend she had woken me up and I was on the couch. I had taken Xanax after being up all night and she woke me up and she was like, it's time for you to wake up. And I was like, I'm awake. And she's like, no, like you're a drug addict. Like you're like the rest of us, like get my shit together. She was taking squish. That was wake up for me. I was angry. I was really angry because for my sister to judge me with the family I come from, I come from a family of addicts. Like I'm the last one ever touched drugs. So at the time I was like, how could you tell me what to do coming from you? I want to say that was like the end of my bad decisions. But when I stopped using, I stopped cold turkey and moved out of Pasco that day. My dad moved me two and a half hours to Alachua. I just kind of like dumped myself into work. I never spent time with Squish. I worked like 12 hour days. And I couldn't, it was really, I couldn't afford to spend time with Squish. So then by the time I slowed down, it was like, I had no memories with him and he was almost two. And I ended up quitting my job and taking time with him right after he had gotten diagnosed with autism at 18 months. So I think that was my biggest wake up call. You had mentioned earlier that you have manic bipolar, right? <laughs> at what point in time in your life did you know that you had that? I got diagnosed at 12. My mom actually had me Baker acted four days after my 12th birthday. I remember they had first diagnosed me with like ODD, which was a defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. And then it took me being Baker acted about five more times before 14 for them to do... They told my parents that it was time for them to like get involved with like genetic testing and therapy. My dad's also manic bipolar, but nobody in my family had ever since like sought help. So they didn't even know. So then it wasn't, it wasn't really just about me at that point. My whole family kind of fell apart. It was like a blame game. So, you know, we see that a lot of the times when people have mental health history and especially when trauma happens, like at a young age when something is done to you or even just the removal when you were at 15, a lot of times that ends up leading to drug use. Do you think that, that the drug use was a result of your mental health struggles or do you think it was due to trauma or a combination of things? I dealt with more trauma as a child than I did from the time I would want to say between 17 and 19. I was sexually assaulted at 14. I had touched spice for a little when I was like 16. Mm -hmm. but I never had a drug problem. I don't really remember, like I didn't get to the root of my issues really till my case when I was in counseling. And the more I think about it, the more it really was my family, like my family issues still to this day bother me. But after I had Squish, it all hit me harder because it was realizing like I didn't have anything family-wise to give him. And learning to be a parent alone 
without having anything to look at for parents was really a crappy feeling and then failing over and over again from what it felt like Uh or having your parents like tell you're not doing enough. That's why so many kids who've been in foster care end up as parents with their kids in foster care. I mean, it's hard enough to be a parent. It's It's hard. Like I had amazing parents, like even with that, like it's so difficult to make the right choices and to, to do good things for your kids and to be a good parent all the time and to always be patient and kind and loving and you know compassionate even when they're it's my hardest thing is ready to get the woods I don't cope well so like I don't think it was my trauma it's just I never knew how to cope so like I pushed everything down yeah. until it hit like a point where it was like there was no pushing it down and then it was like drugs yeah. and when I, when I got sober it was like work and then everything finally like exploded and slowed down and it's sad but it was like four years in the making so this whole year was a wake up call from not just losing my son but like everything before it I got really lucky I didn't lose my son when I had a a drug problem and I really could have I had three cases open against me at the time and I got really lucky and I woke up on my own from that but it's still like I had so many my bad choices were more with men than drugs yeah so what sounds like drugs were how everybody coped Yeah, when you were growing up. The day that Squish was taken was probably a really, really emotional day because you had been through a lot in the previous 48 hours. And then the pinnacle, I'm sure, was when he was removed. Can you tell me a little bit about the emotions that you felt when he was taken? He was actually next door to me. Uh-huh. Uh, the he was taken, he was moved to relative placement next door for two weeks. That night, it was really, he didn't, CPI didn't show up. I wasn't home. I got a call. It was 10 p.m. And we were pulling up from like the splash park in Tarbin. I had already knew, knowing as I pulled up, it was game over because of what happened to me that before. Like there was no way of me passing that drug test. Mm-hmm. So I told the guy, I was like, I literally have a hospital and police report for like being drugged last night. Like I'm not going to pee clean. He goes, I still need you to pee. I was like, are you going to take my son? And he goes, I need you to pee. So I peed and he gets the results. And at this point, like Carter's running around the living room and he comes out and he's like, I'm removing your child. Your child's going to your mom. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, no, you're not. And I grabbed my car keys. Well, I couldn't find my car keys. I grabbed my son. And I was like, I looked at my boyfriend at the time. I'm like, where the frick are my car keys? Where are they? It turns out they were in the car because I never took them out because I was so flustered when I saw the guy. And by the time, like, I'm fine, there's three cops outside. So I'm like, oh my God, there's no getting out of this at this point. Mm-hmm. And the person who actually came and took Carter that night, um, she was living next door and it was my boyfriend's aunt at the time. They were aware she smoked weed without a medical card when they gave her my son Uh to come back two weeks later and remove him for that reason. When they came back two weeks later and then they took him? They told me they were with me an hour before and so I was getting Carter back in four weeks to come back an hour later. So they found the placement smoking weed and not that, that her home smelled like weed and she failed. Okay. So Squish needed to go to a family placement other than that or foster care. At that point, I called my sister two hours away. She couldn't. And then my best friend who just had a baby couldn't. My aunt couldn't. And it was foster care. And the guy was like, you really don't want to go to your mom. And I was like, no. Can you give me like one word for the emotions you felt in that moment? Yeah. the, The second day was the worst feeling I had ever had in my life. He gave me an hour to figure it out. And the whole time I knew that nothing was going to come out of it. And Squish were still next door. I didn't even have Squish. So all I wanted to do was go hug my kid because I knew he was leaving. Like it was, there was nothing I could do. So it really just felt helpless. So when Squish was removed, how soon was it before you started uh, changing things in your life so that you could be an appropriate place for him to reunify? The two weeks he was next door, I wasn't allowed to see him in the morning. So I remember I was sleeping at like one in the afternoon. I didn't have a job. Like I had just moved back from Missouri and my case started May. I didn't get a job till the end of June. So that was the first even remote thing I had moved towards. Then I had to get my medical card and I started the DVD classes. Mm-hmm. I didn't really start actually putting like the effort I needed to until the, he was at 
GGs. But that's because the little efforts I did make at the beginning, I wasn't getting any, like I couldn't even talk to him and I had no hope of him coming home at that point. So what was it you think that jump-started you? Was it that uh, second foster home? It was actually right before he went there. I think it was like when I realized that I couldn't do it anymore. I needed to put my foot down. He went to Gigi at about six months in my case. It was four months when I really woke up. I hadn't seen Squish for more than five minutes on a video call and he was never happy. He didn't want to talk to me. He wanted to beat on the people who was around. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I woke up in that house with people that weren't taking care of their kids. They should have been. And I was angry. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I left. And I moved into a better like living situation. I stopped dealing with like the past dudes that I kept making excuses for. And I put my all in my case. And right then, everything kind of changed. Squish was in a foster home initially, and it was a therapeutic foster home. And at that time, we were like in the middle of COVID. So just like a lot of parents, you were visiting him via Zoom, and you didn't really have a lot of access to him or to the foster parents, right? Yeah, I was supposed to have one video call a week for an hour. They ended up being five minutes if they happened. The foster mom would say, I don't have time for this, blah, blah, blah. And when I did get the call, my the foster mom wasn't there. He was with a 13-year-old. What was the difference between the first foster parent and then he was moved to a second foster parent who were calling Gigi? I mean, I, I noticed right away. Like, I didn't really see Squish, but the pictures that were sent to me in the first foster home, like... His hair was full of food. It was past his eyes. Like he needed a haircut. He wouldn't eat. He wasn't going to any therapy, nothing. And he was always in the house. I never got an update unless he was out with my caseworker at the time. So when he was moved, I think I was told a week before that he was being moved. And I asked him, I was like, please make sure it's his last placement. Like he doesn't need to be moved anymore, especially Mm -hmm. after his first placement. So they told me that the foster mom was already being pretty open to letting me see Squish, considering I hadn't at all. It was finding a supervisor because my caseworker couldn't. So then Kat (laughs) kind of saved me with that one. But it was, I think like... Not even two weeks into my supervised visits, I knew it was different. My son was happy. We were like running around. He loved her. Like he still loves her. I go over there and he's like, Gigi outside and we're not getting out of the car. And I'm like, you'll see her. We go to ABA and she brings the other kids and he gets out of my car, goes right to her, hugs her. And I'm like, we go every week. So, I mean, he didn't even talk really. Like I couldn't touch him, nothing. And none of that got better without her. So... It's changed dramatically, I would say. I mean, the my, the therapy my son's in down to like his OT, his swim, the ABA, he has a home health aid. All of that is because of Gigi. So yeah. people ask me, they're like, you're on top of it. I'm like, this was set up for me. Like, I got really lucky with yeah. my foster parent. It also kind of sounds like you've been on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, she has. It takes a lot to maintain all of that, even if it's set up for you. So I don't impressive. know. With like the whole like legal stuff and the, the amount of stuff she did, I would have never known how to do any of that. But my caseworkers were never the type that I could reach out and they would help me. I would so. say, though, that you two were the dream team because <laughs> Gigi did set everything up immediately. And when I would say, wow, you really know how to do all this. And she is someone that I call when someone else is having a problem setting something up. But you every week, the day or two days before would confirm. And I would always think you don't have to confirm what I'm going to be there. you know. <laughs> and if I even mentioned maybe a snack would make this better. You would arrive with as many snacks. I bought this set of magnets like four times a puzzle, like six. Squish would lose these magnets or puzzle pieces. The dog would chew them. Or like, I don't know. We were just bringing another one or there was one magnets that we left there and I would bring one so we knew that I was always bringing them I don't know after a while I don't even know what happened to those well I don't know but if another child in the home had a toy that Squish liked you bought it yeah even we just actually went to visit afterwards and his replacement like foster kid that came in the home after him had these dinosaurs and Gigi was like he could play with them but we were like leaving and he wanted to take them I'm like not yours buddy I ordered them on Amazon. He doesn't even touch them at home. But <laughs> she, sometimes they're more enticing when they're in someone sometimes others. Sometimes they are. But she, she picked up the ball and ran with it, I would say. And I think that that really She's helped. village. Like even on her, she had, she has two home health aides in her house. I now have one of mine is the siblings, like the sister of the one that works for her. And then it's her daughter. So there's like, I don't only have Gigi's family, but I have her, our home health days are literally like my own family. It's weird. What do you think made your relationship 
with Gigi, the second foster mom, so positive and so fulfilling and so proactive. I mean, I can tell just from the way like I treat her, she hasn't been treated that way by parents. Like she has about six foster kids and a lot of them have been with her for a very long time. And I don't, I've never, I've, I think I've seen one other parent with me mm-hmm. come around, but she only lets her in there about a month. And I could tell like she cared. She puts effort towards me. She calls me. It was even like from the start, like at first she was, she was distant for sure. And there was just this, she threw my son's birthday. That was the real time I knew my son the first month he was there that his birthday happened and I wasn't my case you it was a weekend so my supervisor wasn't able to be there my caseworker actually showed up Gigi said she didn't even need to be here she could have been unsupervised and I even asked her I was like do I bring a cake do I bring a she's like I got everything no one's ever cared for my kid that way like not even my own mother so like the letter I wrote her the week before Swiss came home was really thanking her because no one's ever put the effort or love not only into me but into my kid not even his dad she told me that she cried and she said she was framing it she told me she's never had someone really mm-hmm. appreciate her the way i do which is sad because she's amazing she is amazing she really she is, is and one of her kids has been there like six years which wasn't even the most like um special needs ch- like child she has so mm-hmm. She was great. It seems like you have done a really good job of self-advocating, which is hard for all people to do, I think, but especially hard for someone in the position that you're in. What is it that has taught you in your life to advocate for yourself in that way? I actually, uh, my case was what taught me. I didn't until then. Like, um... A lot. I feel like if I did self-advocate for myself as a teenager, I wouldn't have gone through as much as I did with my parents and been thrown in a program mm-hmm. after program after program. Somebody mm-hmm. probably would have hurt me out, mm-hmm. but I never did. Like I was it just never, I didn't have a voice. I can't, it's hard for me to make eye contact. I can't pay the pizza, man. Like my social anxiety has been very hard for me. So I will tell people yes, knowing it's a no. Like I'm really afraid to let people down or like disappoint anybody. So I've never put my foot down, but it was... Really, my DVD teacher, like, letting me know that what was going on in my case wasn't okay. And my first caseworker didn't turn anything in for my JR to court at five months. And I was supposed to be getting supervised at that court date, and I didn't because it showed I did nothing on my case that I had. So at that point, I remember I hung up from the Zoom court. I called my caseworker, and I lost my mind in the most appropriate way, but I had reached this point. Numerous people have come to me after and been like, yeah, you needed to put your foot down. What was going on? Was that okay? Mm -hmm. And ever since that phone call, because I let her supervisor shut me up for three months before that court date. And I was like, yeah, she's right. I'm overreacting. My kid was removed. I need to act right. But it came to the point where like I was acting right and I wasn't getting anything. And I was like, I'm done. If I come off as a B word, like I come off as a B word, but I'm going to have my son come home. So, I mean, that was my biggest wake up call. I think I, I remember I woke up, I did my court call and after that, and she even told me, I don't know what happened. And I was like, I'm not accepting this anymore. Well, just to piggyback on that, like, I do think that you've been a great self-advocate. And I do think that's really hard when you're in the position that you're in, because there are so many players and you're kind of the only one in your position because it can feel like everyone's against you. The paperwork, definitely. Like I wouldn't blame anybody to be against me either. So it was like at the beginning of your case, you really feel like you can't speak up because you did wrong. Yeah, I, I can see why why it would feel like you can't win. And I can see why it would feel so helpless. But one thing I've noticed about you is that you don't take things personally and that you're very proactive. And can you tell me anything about like how you've been able to move forward and not take things personally? So I remember, honestly, my biggest issue, like growing up as a child, like my mom would tell me I didn't clean the dishes right. And I'm like, I'm not good enough. Like I was a very crybaby child, which that all the way up until my teenage years, like somebody told me that something little they didn't like about me and I wanted to end my life. Okay. It was, yeah, it yeah. was that ridiculous. So, um, but, but let me just say that's not rare. It's very common. So, so, I mean, I definitely, I was, I took everything personally for the longest time to where I think I had to wake up. Like I said, I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Mm-hmm. So at the, my ex, actually the one that had stabbed me, he was my biggest eye opener that I can't sugarcoat things with people mm-hmm. because like to a point, like I lied, I lied a lot to the people in my life. Cause I didn't want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. But in the end I would be the one hurt because I led people on for so long. That's such a life lesson. Yeah. My biggest 
I guess overcoming things personally was with my son's father. And that was just because he didn't want to work with me because he didn't like me as a person. And that made me so angry. Like up until my case, I definitely was still angry. I actually have to do Camelot counseling with my son's father weekly now. And I'm the one that talks the most because like I realized I took so much stuff personally for so long that it didn't just hurt me. It hurt his dad, it hurt him. And even though we were all wrong in certain situations, well, Squish was never wrong, but me and his dad definitely both messed up and me taking it personal in life destroyed my family and numerous family forms. Mm-hmm. So I reached a point where like, I realized I had to grow up. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even communicate with people without like, I'm snapping on you and it's because you said something and I took it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I guess now, like I've noticed since I don't like you, I get a lot further. That was my biggest thing is like, I, the minute you realize that you get further with how you talk to people, it gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's true. I mean, it's not fair to resent people and they don't, if they don't know what they did wrong. Yeah. And no one ever will unless you speak. It's true. So I've noticed like when you take things personally, you take that in your head too. It's not like you ever voice like, Hey, this is how I feel about it. Cause it's not very something that you take with pride. Like mm-hmm. it's a bad feeling. You're not going to want to bring it up, but like the harsh truths that I had to sit down and tell my son's father, the guy that I was with before, like realizing that you have to be real with people no matter Mm -hmm. what it helps a lot. Like I can't be personally upset with myself or the things people say to me if I know it's not true. And at the time it was, and that's why I was so upset. That's a great perspective. I mean, the minute you start, I started owning my own things. Nothing felt bad personally because I'd already gone through it myself. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the helplessness that you felt and that like trauma, how did you start healing from that? Like, how did you get from the place where you're sleeping till one and not working? How did you get out a of lizard. that? A lizard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I had a bearded dragon. I don't know why I'm not a good pet mom. And for some reason, deep in me, I thought like, I really just wasn't good with responsibility. And a lot of like me pushing like I procrastinate the end like I'll procrastinate until you're ready to arrest me for procrastinating like <laughs> it's that bad and uh, the whole waking up a thing like beer dragons they have to have their lamp on at like right in the morning it has to go off at night you gotta feed them live foodies every other day and I could I didn't know anything about these things I literally googled the best pet to get to help me get my stuff together and went and bought it yeah I had my bearded dragon in my whole case until squish came home because he's a lot with other kids but he it's sad, but I had to get a lizard to wake me up to responsibility because, like, I don't think it's sad at all. Like, you found a tool, and, and I tool think works. it's so and I worked nights, so it was like googled yeah. like what was the best way to do this. Yeah, like, I'm just really. I was impressed. a delivery driver working at like two in the morning, so like the whole waking up thing wasn't getting better for me, and I was like, it's not gonna if I know he's not home. And there's uh-huh. nothing I have to do in the morning till about two in the afternoon. I'm never going to get up. So I'm like, let me get back. I think that's perfect. Yeah. That's great. I feel like I've got to go buy some pets for some of my kids' parents. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Beauty dragons and chameleons. They're very oh, high. Chameleons are lizards. so cute. I want one next, but they get very flustered and they die. How do you handle co-parenting with Squish's dad? Yeah, so honestly, I, so he didn't answer the phone. They called him, I think, about like 12 times the night that Squish was removed and then like numerous times throughout my case. He didn't show up till three months. It was like really hard to get past the anger that I had for making me raise Squish for three years when he still wasn't like showing up. And then he did. And he showed up and it wasn't getting much better. Like the foster mom told me that Squish had a bruise, like the whole torso of his body. And apparently happened at a park in front of the caseworker. Like, it, it made no sense to me. And from the minute his supervisor started up until two weeks ago, every week Squish came home with marks, like to stitches. So it was really hard. Like my anger wasn't easy to like contain, but I've noticed like I have to talk to him as if nothing's wrong all the time. And it's hard, like as much as I don't want to give him the efforts that I am, I know that I'm never going to get what I want out of our relationship unless I do. And I have to be the one to like be grown about it, even though I shouldn't be. Right now, this is the best we've been since Squish is born. I don't know how long it'll last. Let me point out that you bring up everything that's relevant, everything that is necessary about the health and safety of your child. Anytime that you notice something that is potentially dangerous, you bring it up, even when it's uncomfortable. 
that was my issue before. Like, um, I would notice things and I, w- I would bring them up and I wouldn't like his answer. And I'm like, well, bye. Like you don't see him, which I can't, I, to an extent, like his dad was on meth that I knew of up until two and a half, but Squish is now almost five. So I did like in Camelot the other day, I did admit like there was a big scat that I don't know if he was doing wrong. I don't know if he was doing good and I could have answered him and I didn't. And that was wrong to do to him and wrong to do to Squish. For a lot of the time, I talked to Squish's dad as if he was a lower person than me. And that wasn't right because I didn't like when people talk to me like that and I had these same mistakes as him. It's just hard, I guess, because I fix mine a lot faster than him. So it's like I got to remember not everybody fixes their life the way I do or as fast as I do. And it took me a pretty long time, too. So, well, everyone's allowed to evolve, but I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to look at yourself and say, well, I don't like it when someone does that to me. So I'm not going to do that to them either, even though I don't like them. I can't wait to meet you when you're 40. I know. I I mean, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be on a cruise. No kids. I mean, mean, that's fine. I wish we can all come get you guys. It's going to be our mom. Finally, is at that age, but um, I'm just very impressed with um, the tools that you've acquired and your ability to overcome at such a young age it's yeah it's i don't think i realized honestly until um the people in my case like wanting to like me you had two very different experiences with foster parents you had one that wasn't as positive and you had one that was incredibly positive what would you want foster parents to know about biological parents i guess that we're not just our jr report like mine was really bad and now that I know that like Gigi kind of was worried about it and gave me a chance anyway I remember reading it myself and being like this is crazy if I was a judge and I read this I would never give her her kid back and like nobody knows what's all true what's not what's yeah. half so it's like they read that and that is their only outlook and I feel like maybe most I'm not gonna lie most foster parents that I hear don't always have the open outlook like between Gigi and you I have this the most refreshing foster arrangement that I've ever been around. So the ones I grew up with, with like the rap house and everything, were not like you guys. So I don't, I don't know. I guess it's just keep in mind that we all have a chapter that we're not proud of, and some of us just weren't caught, and we have to get past it. And I like, I would say that everybody has a chapter that they're not. Yeah. For sure. I mean, some of us have like five. I know yeah. that. I'm very open, so I don't judge people because of how harsh I have been. But I have siblings who don't talk to me for like the littlest thing. I can hear someone's whole story and still be their friend after because you're not that person anymore. Ooh, I love Florida. I have an hour and a half. We should talk about siblings some more. What do you want caseworkers to know about biological parents? Most caseworkers start out against you. And that's so sad to say, but it has been that way for all three of mine. And two of them have ended up incredible to me in the end. None of them started out giving me an open chance to begin with. Not one. (laughs) And I feel like my case would have been a lot, like at least in the beginning, would have gone a lot smoother. And my son would have been not as damaged by this whole situation as somebody did. Squish, actually, he can't sleep without me for more than like two hours a night. And then he comes to find me from the abandonment issues. And I feel like a lot of that is because four months he didn't see me, even when he was supposed to. And a lot of that would have changed if my caseworker would have tried for me. And she didn't because she didn't think I was worth it. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you're a caseworker, it's, it's not just your job to remove children. It's your job to help them come back home. And a lot of them don't see that at all. What do you want uh, the public to know about someone who's been in your position? That's the worst one. Um, I have more criticism to this day from people who just know of me and like, I kept it a secret. I never openly to like the people, social media or anything. Hey, my kid was removed, but people got upset with me over my case plan. Like they blast me, whatever. But I've had like, like I told you guys, I've had people take pictures of me and my son at Gigi's and post them and say, hey, look, mom, I made it in the foster care. It was just really hard. And like to this day, like my gate, I'm in Facebook jail. <laughs> I got engaged on Wednesday and my mom like proudly posted it. And I had like nine people shit on me on my mom's post of me and my fiance because of my case. And none of them know why I lost my son 
fully. So it's mm-hmm. just nobody knows the depth of a case plan, what you go through to get reunified. And I did all that. And I literally met my case plan requirements at six months and still had a fight till a year to get him mm-hmm. home. And people still crap on me while my son's with me. So it's like to see them do all the work. Honestly, it's like, I don't, I don't think I really have anything to say to anybody out there because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have their opinion and most of it is going to be negative. At the end of the day, like if you're a parent going through a dependency plan, you have to be there for yourself because everybody is going to shit on you. No matter how you want them to look at you, they're not going to, you need to know yourself Mm -hmm. or you're not going to be able to make it. What do you think Now, this is like a big question, but what do you think like the community at large can do to prevent the causes that kids come into care to keep kids at home with their parents? At least in my stand, with my son being special needs, the resources were really limited when my son was really diagnosed to me. So when my case plan started and I hadn't had him in a lot of resources and for his autism, that was a big downer that they looked on me for. Mm -hmm. Like to this day, his ABA therapist has to help me find like a new surgeon for dental because they don't know how to handle autistic kids. And it's very limited for like even resources are out there. Like autism speaks is huge, but it's not for area so like the amount of hours and stuff of finding them and then finding it to go to your son's insurance and all this for at least young parents and a dependency plan you're already working so much and to find even resources about like insurance getting your kid home if you don't have a good foster mom or caseworker you're lost when your son comes home or your Mm -hmm. child comes home i don't know as a community i feel like there should be a lot more resources for young or single parents or parents just having a hard time in general no matter their age it's out there it's just really rare and it gets more rare instead of more common it would be easier to focus on a case plan when you weren't struggling with other everything else yeah Yeah. having had issues with substances what would you say is the biggest thing that keeps people from beating addictions you gotta wake up one day and realize like there's something you're living for mine being my son but no one goes into addiction or drugs because they're happy Mm -hmm. and they're most likely not happy at all with their lives or where they're at so it's really like like I said I didn't cope with anything so it was like I had to go through years of my own damage to figure out what I even really needed and it's sad but by the time a lot of people make it to drugs they can't do that it's sad because I don't have a lot of advice once you're on there because like I, I had a really hard time coming off and I had a support Luckily, but like alone, it's I don't even know what I would say to somebody. So, do you think the biggest reason that people don't get off drugs is because they don't have support? I feel like it's a big part of it, but you need to have your own willpower. There comes a day like that's your life and that's your choice. But like, I I had to sit through numerous like cases for my court, and I've heard some crazy stuff like a woman literally begged for help for apparently like two years and then ended up in prison and they haven't been able to find her but she's been in the prison system and they're like forcing her to sign over her rights because they couldn't find her for so long there's a little extent to like you gotta help someone out somewhat like two years before she went in yeah. like i don't know yeah. it's a lot i feel like a support is a big thing like a kid takes a village and I have a village, luckily, but like with drugs and having kids, it takes a lot more than really like have to have the willpower and people around you to keep you on. And if they're not willing to, if not, it's really downhill battle. Do you have any fears that you might ever relapse or do you have any kind of a plan? I haven't touched my recreational drug since 2018. So now I have a medical card. I'm allowed to smoke weed. So there's that. I think about I don't want to smoke weed. The amount of money that goes into weed, my medical card. I don't like that. I can't really always function without it. So like, I'm not going to lie until I be having conversations with like my counselor and my fiance. And I'm like, I don't want to smoke anymore. But like Squish is going to go to his dad. I'm going to turn my phone off for two days and I'm just going to get off pot because you don't realize like the mood changes that come when you put substances in your body. I'll rip my whole life apart trying to get sober. And at that point, I still don't have anything. So it's really hard. <laughs> my biggest fight for myself right now is I'm trying to get off my own medical marijuana. That's something I'm dealing with. But And, and that's difficult because I've yeah. seen people struggle with that and the way that it affects your mood. Yeah. I think about it every week. I'm like, I could spend so much more money on my son. And the people that I know that do use it for medical reasons it's or expen- it's more recreational, expensive. it's like... Um, um, when they don't have it, they're not people you want to be around. No, we're mean. We're mean yeah. people. And it'll take hours to even like regulate your mood back. And at that point, I don't want to be like that. Like Sorry. I go for <laughs> really cranky. I really go for cranky. two hour car rides and I'm like, babe, get me home. So I'm really inspired by who you are as a person. And like Jack said, I would love to know you as a 40 year old. But how are you different now? than you were when Squish was first removed? Um, I've definitely grown 
more than this in this year than I have my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I will own that to the end of my life because as much as like my son's father will tell you like until this year he thought I was a narcissist and he still probably does a little bit but like numerous people did and I probably was a little bit like I'm not gonna lie I look back on my relationships and like my son growing with me and I'm like a lot of the stuff I did was so selfish and such a bad thing to do to people just because like I didn't want to speak up on how like I was feeling I don't know. I had this, I had a song that was my favorite song ever when my case first started and like the line and it was like, I became a coward when I needed to speak. And that made me act in so many like sneaky, worse ways than speaking up ever would. So I guess when I learned to gain my voice is when everything else fell into place because I wasn't doing the toxic behaviors that came from hiding how I was feeling. Wow. That was huge. It's really powerful. So you're saying you became an adult. I've been reading to my mom, me and Squish's dad's text conversations now when we aren't getting along and they're still not an argument. My my mom's like, you've grown. And I'm like, I know. I know. I don't think I don't believe it. Sometimes like I really gotta like smack myself in the face and be like, is this me talking? Because I don't think this is me. Yeah, I would say that you're doing the important things instead of the things that would like bring you emotional gratification. Yeah. When I got engaged on Wednesday, it felt like the biggest realization. Like my boyfriend well, fiance now, he came into my life in the middle of my case plan. He was my biggest support. And I know that's frowned upon. Like I had to go through counseling and I cleared on caseworkers. Like I went through a lot just for this relationship. Reunification got pushed off for about two months because of it. I put a lot risking like, but I knew like the person that I had now and what he pushes me to become has helped me so much because even when he asked me to marry him on Wednesday, I was thinking like, oh my God, that chapter of my life is over. Like I spent 10 years on and off with two guys that both were involved with Squish and both were very violent to me and both kind of introduced me to drugs and a lot of the bad things I did, which at the end of the day, it's my choice. But I wanted these two people in my life so bad I would have done anything. It still kills me to this day. Like, I don't have them anymore. I guess I realized, like, I look at Swish and I look at my life now and my stepkids and I'm like, I would never have had any of this if I stayed with what I was. I would have probably died from an overdose. It wasn't ever me using alone. It was me using to be around the people I was being around. Mm -hmm. And that was no reason to even use. What would you tell someone who's just had their kids removed that they should do to repair their family? Honestly, don't push it off. Work your case plan as fast as you can. Even if you need, like, take your days, your week. It's not easy when your child's removed. Nobody's going to wake up the next day and be like, yeah, let's get this done. I guess it's take the time you need, but don't let it be your whole case plan. Because I've mm -hmm. seen that too. There comes a point where you gotta know, like, it's not helpless. And your kid's gonna come home as long as you stay on it. Because I can't tell you how many times my case was fully completed. And I still thought he wasn't coming home. To like two days before he came home. Yeah. <laughs> like I would have told you he'll never come home. I don't believe it. Like my boyfriend would tell me the whole case when you're being ridiculous. Like, come on. And I'm like, he's not going to come home. But well, it felt like it. Yeah. There were a lot and of obstacles. It, it probably does for every parent in a case point, no matter what they're going through that. There's a feeling like they're not going to get their kid, even if they think they are. And I guess it's just to keep your head up because the more you don't and you let all that get to you, you're just going to go back. Yeah. There were just constant obstacles, obstacles, obstacles until literally like the day he was my last court dead was um after reunification it was my unified family it was literally like two weeks not even two weeks ago that was the first court day in the year that has gone the way it was supposed to like i was told before every court day by my like first it was like a public attorney whatever and then my lawyer like i'm being told i'm getting this like this is gonna happen this isn't gonna happen and none of it went right, ever. I never got my visits on time, nothing. And this was the first time that I ever went my way. And I don't, I have a very strict judge. Like my lawyer told me himself, like, you aren't going to get far with this lady. And she heard me out. I guess that was the, the one good feeling because for once the judge did not just push my case off. And she was like, you're doing what you should. And it was a really good feeling. And they actually pushed it closer, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually, my case does not have to go six months. It's going to close in three. Awesome. So yeah. And then my unified family has actually been open two and a half years and that closes next month. Wow. So it finally feels like it's all ending and I can move on, which is great because I kind of 
started a whole new chapter of my life. So that's great. What are your goals for your future, for you, for your family, for your son? Um, okay, so I actually I have a lot of like big plans within the next five years. I want to start school at the end of this year and then become a counselor by the end of next year. I'm getting married by the end of next year. My my parents moved to Florida at three months old. I'm from Jersey. So if it was up to me, I don't think I would want to live here. I've never wanted to. I've left so many times. I have a really good opportunity for once to actually give my son a life and a home in a different place within two years. And I think I'm going to do it. So there's just a lot coming up in the next few years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so stressful, but I'm excited. Mostly my schooling, I think, is the biggest one. I'm really excited for that. I never did anything, at least like that I could put like as a career wise or give Squish anything further in life out of like a job besides right now. And even like just going back to school, which I dropped out in 11th grade, it feels amazing. So that's so exciting. You can finally be proactive about yourself. That's the thing. It's like you have kids and everything is about them. And then you wake up a few years on the line. You're like, I didn't do what I wanted to do with myself. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people end up resenting their husband or kids for that reason. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, I feel bad. I've had a grown since having squish. Squish has grown a lot more due to me. So I guess I'm just at the point where he shouldn't have to anymore. He shouldn't have to grow with me. I need to grow. (laughs) You make me cry. So sweet. It's it's hard. Like I I still look at him now he's home and he's like in the living room watching Peabody and Sherman going doggy. And I'm like, how did I get so lucky? Like to this day, he'll be sitting there watching his movie. And it's the same movie over and over again. Like it should be making me lose my mind. But I just look up and I'm like, I don't know how I got so lucky. Or like we'll get in bed at night and I'm like, I love you. Good night. And he goes, and he kisses and says, I love you back now. And it's so like starting last week, he doesn't need to be coached. He goes, I love you. <laughs> and I'm like, the fact that I, he definitely went through hell growing with me and he can still look at me and like, I'm his comfort. And it's like, I never want to risk that going away again. Mm-hmm. It's his turn to grow and me do it with him. So I think the best part of my case plan was watching Squish grew way more than me last year. He didn't talk, nothing. Like he says, he burps and he goes, excuse me. And I'm like, where did you come from? You're not my kid. You came home like three years later and it's only been a year and it's, he's grown so much. And I'm like, I should be the proud one, but it's all him. All him. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, kids are amazing. Thanks for coming and doing this with us. And thanks for bearing through the Florida summer thunderstorm. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.